Tonight we're going to talk about a dirty word, work. Work for the Lord, okay? And I want you to turn to Romans 12, Romans 12 if you will, and um, it is it is a chapter of a tremendous, it's filled with so much. And in it, uh, we want to just read uh, regarding the seven specific gifts that we have uh, in the church. Now, no one will have the seven gifts. If you did, did if you have them, you are a super, super saint. No elder, no deacon, no matter who you are. You may have one, two, or if you have three, it is a high, high percentage, uh, indeed, for a person to have. But every Christian has a gift. Let me repeat that. Every believer has a gift given to you by God. Now, you may not be aware of the gift. You may not even feel that you have a gift. But that is not so. Every Christian has a gift, all right? Look at verse 6, if you got your Bible. Having then, that's Romans 12, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorteth on excitation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. That love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious word. Now, we'll come back to that. We want to close out with those seven gifts. And we're not going to be too long on those gifts. But we want to talk about uh, working for the Lord. How should the work of God be done? Now, so I've, we have a, a few verses that we've sort of uh, picked out. And uh, the first one, if you want to just make a note of, of the text, you don't have to turn to it, and I'll read it for you. Um, Ezra 7.21, listen to the text. It says, And I, even I, Exerxes, uh, the king, do make a decree to all the treasures which are beyond the river, that whatsoever Ezra shall require of thee, listen, of you, be it done speedily. Now, the devil tried to hinder the work in Ezra when he was going there to do, uh, rebuild the temple. Nehemiah, as you know, uh, built the wall of the city. And, um, of course, there were those who always want to or try to interfere with the work of God. Um, but they had confirmation that the king had, Darius had given a decree that they could go ahead and build. Now, this probably is common knowledge with you. But, so the king sent word. This time he said, you do the work and do it speedily. Now, sometimes you can't do it, uh, the work of the Lord speedily. And uh, it does require haste on some occasions. Um, negligence never will accomplish anything. And I'm sure you're aware of that. And so we need to do his work, especially in the end times. And how how near we are to the end, I'm sure you're aware of that as well. How long or longer can we go on? How much time do we have left? And uh, perhaps there's never been a, a time in the history of the church or the servants of God where you hear so much preaching or ministry on prophecy. 
And as you know, prophecy covers a large percentage of teaching in the Word of God, uh, far more than baptism, far more than many other subjects of the Bible. And so when men stand up to talk about the end times, people have right away, they, their ears seem to perk up and, and they become interested because even the world is concerned. They're concerned about the end time. Whatever we have to do, let's do it for the Lord and do it uh, with a glad heart, of course, and do it speedily for his glory. And... Um, I liked a little boy at the Milan Cathedral. This was going back many, many years ago, of course. And um, the tourists were going to that tremendous edifice. And this little boy, he was outside looking at the edifice. And he said to the tourists, he said, I helped to build this church. And they looked at him and said, you? He says, how in the world could you ever help build a church like this? He says, I brought my daddy's lunch every day. Now with the last part of the building of the Milan Cathedral. But he felt that he had a part in the work of God. And so he was right on target, of course. And he, he did fulfill a mission. So whatever it is that God puts in your hand to do, don't neglect it. Do it. Do it for his glory. Uh, no individual, no believer should have to be coerced or forced to do the work of God. It's very difficult sometimes. We, you know, maybe they have legitimate excuses, and I'm not judgmental, but, you know, it's good to be able to do it. But call upon to, to do some service for him. Do it, and do it speedily. Someone else might take your place. Someone else may get the, the, the reward in the coming day and get the glory uh, for doing the work of the Lord. What was the main problem with the Hurricane Katrina that was coming to the coastline of the southern part, of course, that part of the United States of America. What was the main problem? Well, folks knew it was coming, but it was a lack of communication. And the work of God must be done with this in mind, of course, to communicate with the Lord, first of all, and with one another. No man is an island to himself, so we're all in the work together. And uh, there was a, a, a lack of of transportation. Now, I have to qualify that. The transportation was there, but it was not used for purposes that I do not uh, understand or even care to get into. The fact is, there was an abundance of buses that were flooded out because they were never used to transport people to higher ground. Okay? There was no sense of direction when it hit. And there was a tremendous loss of property. There was a loss of power. And when we do not do the work of God and we lag or renege, there comes a lack of power in the church of Jesus Christ. We need more power, beloved, uh, in, in his work. And he gives that power. And, of course, then we went into what we call the blame gang. gang. Everybody start blaming the president. Others start blaming the mayor and the governor. You name it. And uh, those who were supposed to help to bring in supplies. Everything was utter chaos. Failure, failure to communicate, failure to do what they should have done because the hurricane was coming. It's too late after it's hit. So we need to get water. We're warned of this. Are we not? And I could tell you about hurricanes. I believe I'm safe in saying 
that I perhaps have been through more hurricanes than anybody in the Bahamas. That is, if you didn't live in Bermuda. Uh, in Bermuda, 27 years that I was there, that's all I knew, was hurricanes, hurricanes, hurricanes. Coming to the Bahamas, we had no real hurricane until Betsy in 1965. Young people were saying, oh, if you could only have a hurricane. I said, don't be so foolish. And when it hit, they said, I never want to see another hurricane. But you know, hurricanes are not, not um, um, foreign to us, but preparation is very important. And I, I remember in Hurricane Betsy, we, you, pardon me being personal again, but the first thing we did was got the chapel fixed up. And we put up those old wooden shutters. And, um, but we had to work all night. And, um, and I was so tired because we, we put up shutters for old people that couldn't do it themselves. And, but we had to work fast. We had to get it done. A hurricane was coming. She turned completely south when she went north of us. Everybody thought Hurricane Betsy was gone and we'll never see her. 11.20 that night, WGBS, some of you are old enough to remember that time, and 1965. How many were, were born before 1965? Let me see your hand. Boy, you're old people here tonight, all right. But you know something? Uh, we... We were, we got all the work done. And uh, I'm going to tell you, let you in a little secret. I don't know one thing about Hurricane Betsy hitting. I slept in Mr. Lambert Pender's living room on the floor. Had just a pillow. And that's where I was all through the hurricane. My family was there in his house, of course, because we felt more secure to be in his place. And I don't know a thing about Hurricane Betsy. Boy, that's, that's a lesson to be, uh, to be at, at peace in the time of, of storm. Spiritually speaking, you know what I'm getting at, don't you? The Lord seemed to have rewarded me for that. Good thing the roof didn't go off like it did in my house in Hurricane Andrew. The whole north side practically was ripped off. We had a series of tornadoes, of course, in that hurricane. But the whole idea is we had to work because a storm was coming. I'm sure you got the method, beloved. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it speedily. But in Asher again, chapter 7, verse 23, the same book, whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of the God of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Now, not only work speedily, but it must be diligent. And this is very, very important. And uh, we want to Give him our best. We want to do our best because he requires the best. And um, not a slipshod or just anything will do. Uh, we're so haphazard when it comes many times to the work of God. We need to be diligent uh, in, in his work. And the Lord will bless you for it. And um, I know in your report this morning, you about your financial uh, difficulties and what you need. And some of us suffer from cirrhosis of the giver. Oh, it got through to you. Good for you. But you know, um, don't be like the man who said, Lord, I'm going to give you uh, one of my hogs. And um, when it got time for him giving this, you probably heard this before. And um, one of the hogs died that night. And he said, Lord, I'm so sorry. But your hog died last night. 
that's not the that's not the principle. Diligence in giving, uh, to, we are not to be spasmodic. We are to really be burdened about it and to give to the glory of God. And um, no reflection on the person who coined that phrase, give till it hurts. You see, I don't agree with that altogether. Because as a Christian, there should be joy in giving. We should be diligent in that because because we know it belongs to the Lord. The same God who gave it to us is the same God who could take it away from us. You see, it all belongs to him. We're only stewards of that which he has entrusted us with. And oh, may God help us to be good stewards, to be diligent stewards, and to do uh, his work in a way which will please him. And um, Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 12, if you're making a note of the scriptures, uh, it says, and the men did the work faithfully. And um, this is very important too. You know what they were doing? Josiah the king had his men, some of the priests, were repairing the temple of God. And they, the temple had been uh, neglected. It wasn't used any longer. But Josiah, being the godly young man that he was, uh, he couldn't have it no other way. That The temple must be uh, repaired. And it's sad, you know, that that uh, that edifice had to be in that condition. And the Bible says, and they cleaned out all the stuff and the dirt, and they repaired. And can you, would you believe that while they were repairing it, they found the Bible? <laughs> Isn't it amazing? The Bible was a lost book to the people of God. It was a lost book uh, even to the king. And when one of the priests found the book and they came and brought the book to Josiah. They were excited over this. And they actually found, after knocking all the dust off the, the Bible and began to read it, and then he established a course or confirmed all the laws in the land. And the word is, they did the work there in the temple faithfully. That's very important, isn't it? Oh, may the Lord help us to be faithful in his work. To do it the way he wants us to do it, of course, but to be faithful in it. Faithful in it. I think of a man who, while he was dying, because he had saved a lot of people uh, from drowning in a boat that sank. and uh, But he did save quite a few, but uh, in, in the process, of course, he lost his own life. But before he died, he said this, did I get the last one? It already saved about 26 people. Did I get the last one? And of course, they said there were others who, who perished in the wave. And he was so disheartened with that, and he died. But, but did I get the last one? Did I do my best? Did I, did I diligently work for the Lord? Did I faithfully carry out the, the mission that he had given me to do? I, I, I sincerely trust that we'll always apply our hearts in this respect. And... Um, of course, we could say a lot about the Word of God, faithfully reading the book, faithfully in our prayer life. And sometimes I get rebuked when I sing some hymns. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour which before thy cross I spend. <laughs> Do I really spend an hour? Five minutes in the morning maybe, so a little snatch here and there. And here again, I'm not going to be judgmental of you, but in my own heart. I know when, when I feel sort of famished spiritually because can't too busy, can't get to the book, 
can't have that quiet time before the Lord. The telephone will ring uh, or somebody will come to the house. There's always something. So you have your little time early in the morning perhaps. But you want to get into the book you because you realize that faithfulness to this reading of the word of God will do something for all of us. And you hear that so many times. And uh, it, it might sound like, well, you rehash teaching, you know. No, because there are absolutely no substitute for the word of God. And that's why it's so precious to get into the book. Get into it early in the morning. One time ago, I used to be sort of upset because I, I get up morning very early sometime, three o'clock. And I, I used to say, well, what, three o'clock? I went to bed 11 and three o'clock, that's not enough. You know, uh, they always said that, oh, people don't need too much sleep in the night. But that's not true. They found out the reason they can't sleep is because they have arthritis and pains that waken them through the night. That's the reason why they don't get enough sleep. But the point is this. So instead of being angry at it and fussing, I sit in the couch. You know, my, my armchair, layoff chair, is my best friend in my house. I get up, and I, I'm only sharing a few things. You don't mind if I just ramble on a little, eh? I get up now from my bed, and I put my feet on the floor. I said, thank you, Lord. That's the first thing. You see, I'm still alive. I got another day perhaps to serve him. And I go inside. And, of course, I, my, I should say not only my couch, but Mr. Maxwell is my next best friend. So I make a nice cup of coffee. And, I, and in three minutes, that thing is brewed. I set it up in the night before. Preparation, you see. You could call it, you could call it a caffeine addiction. It don't bother me one bit. Because I, I, I need that little lift in the morning. And, and I sit there and I, I tell you, quiet time, no interruption, no telephone ringing. And, uh, I, I, I may be sounding a little offish here, but you know something? I'm enjoying my better times with the Lord now than I've done all my life. Because well, before he's so busy and had to do this and uh, the world depended on me and the family can't make it without me and so on. When I die with a heart attack or something or if the Lord just takes me home some other way, they're going to get on without me. But you know, it's just good to have fellowship with the Lord. Oh, my friend, it, it's so precious. Let's faithfully then uh, read the word, do the work of God, have our devotion and have the right motive. So that will serve him and where he will be well pleased. I thank God for Bev Shea's mother when she placed that sheet of music on the piano. And when he looked at it and he started playing it and singing it, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. It transformed his life. Here's a man way over 90, maybe a hundred. I don't, I'm not sure, but just the other day, Mr. Shea was still singing the old gospel song. A man that truly was devoted uh, to this in his life. And Daniel 6.16, I like this one. Uh, Darius, King Darius, when he realized that Daniel was in the den of lions uh, because of the law of the Medes and Persians changed not. The decree was signed. Anyhow, Daniel didn't change in his uh, behavior before the Lord or before the people of public. And so here he is in the den of lions. And the king said this, Thy God, Daniel, whom thou servest continually will be with thee. I like that. 
So Daniel was a man that was very active in the uh, arena of uh, governmental service, but he was serving the Lord continually. And this unsaved king knew this. He observed it. And he could tell us about Daniel. Don't give up. Don't, don't get frustrated and discouraged. Don't throw in the towel. You know, we live in a world of ultra-sensitivity and people are so fickle-minded now. They're doing something for the Lord. One little criticism here or something somebody might have said or, or whatever didn't go right and they give up. Uh, we have this all of the time. Remember now who you're serving. Are you serving a Calvary Bible Church? Are you serving Pastor Lee or all the other leaders in the church here? No. Who are you serving? Let's get our focus right. Let's get our priorities right. Who are we serving? Who? You say, God. Then listen, don't let anything destroy or, or, or cause you to move away from that responsibility. Don't let anything hinder you. Because in that day, no excuse. You cannot say at the judgment seat of Christ, well, Lord, so-and-so uh, ridiculed me. Or so-and-so said some very unjust things about me. That's not going to hold water. Faithfulness. Serve him continually. Do the work of God. Because you're serving him. And don't be undaunted uh, by anything. Don't let anybody uh, uh, really frustrate you in, in the work of the Lord. No one, okay? Just do it for his glory. And the Lord uh, will encourage and bless your heart. Oh, my friend. Serve him continually, all right? Colossians 2, 3, 23. Here's another one. It says, To do God's work, not sulking or grudgingly, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to man. Well, that sort of covers what I said a little while ago. You're doing it for the glory of God, and and God and God's going to richly repay you. Um, the Bahamas, of course, is really in need of a spiritual awakening. And uh, we could pray to that end. We can work to that end. Uh, just keep in mind that in other parts of the world, which we don't have time to go into all of them, but you know there's a great surge of blessing and revival in China. Did you know in certain parts of India where Christians are put to death and some of the things are terrible what they're doing to some of the believers. But you know, in India, certain parts, there's a tremendous surge of spiritual awakening. North Korea, why these people, uh, they're poor, they need food. But if you ask them, what is it that you really need? That we want batteries for our transistor radios, old-time radios, because they want to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? They'd rather have their radios than have food. And they're listening to the word. And there's a tremendous surge of blessing in North Korea. Here's a man. Brother, he's going to follow through with some of his threats, like the president of Iran. We just don't know. I know one thing. God's in control. They had a little bug in the, in the computer system in Iran the other day. And they put, they were all upset and took days and days. I don't know if they got it all fixed up yet. God can mess up those computers so bad, they'll never have a chance to fire a rocket off or a missile off. But the point I want to make is that God is blessing 
using his word as being received and, and there's awakening in many parts of the world. And um, so God is working. Is it impossible for God to do it again here in the Bahamas? When I stood in the pulpit of Evan Roberts, the man that God used for the Welsh revival way back in, what, 1904? And um, the janitor was there, an old elderly man, and we stood in the pulpit together and we had prayer. And uh, I said, um, as he recounted some of the things that happened in that Welsh revival, <laughs> he said, well, says, you know, they couldn't get the animals to work down in the coal mines. I said, well, I had heard that. And the reason being that the men refused to kick and to beat the animals down there to get them to work. They were born-again believers now. They were tender-hearted and even had more love for the mule down in the coal mine. And the mules wouldn't work. Boy, now that's revival. I said, would you like to see it again, sir? And the tears just streamed down his face. We stood on the grave, or by the graveside of Mr. Evan Roberts, with a man that the Lord used. That's where it started from his church, really. And it lasted 20 years. That's the kind of awakening we need in the Bahamas. It's not impossible. You hear the word loosely said that we're going to have a revival next week. You just don't project of that kind of a revival. What they mean is special evangelistic services I get, I gather. But it's not that. It's times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Acts 3.19. That's what we need. Once we have this refreshing time before the Lord... We're not going to have any trouble with Christians working for the Lord. We're going to do his work faithfully. We're going to do his work speedily. We're going to do his work diligently. We're going to do his work heartily. And we're going to uh, really do it continually. Because, because you've got a mind to do it now. Okay, let's go now to Romans 12, these gifts. And I'm going to wrap it up. And I'm going to finish off with this. Years ago, one of my teachers gave a little, would you call it, a, uh, an illustration of these gifts. And I'd like to pass this on to you if you haven't heard it before. Actually, I read it. And um, I'm going to share it with you. So you've got the prophet, you've got the servant, uh, you've got the teacher, you've got the exhorter, you've got the liberal man, you've got the leader, and you've got the man of mercy. And here is how he portrayed it. I'd like to share it with you. Here's a woman in a cafeteria. And she's got her tray of food and she comes naturally to be seated. And as she's entering the little dining section, she trips on a microphone cord. And um, down she went, tray and all, food spattered all over the floor. It was a mess. And so, here's gift number one, Mr. Prophet. Mr. Prophet is a John the Baptist, of course. There are two forms of prophets. I know you've been taught this. You have those who foretell, and you have those who foretell. Well, that, the, the latter is the one we want to talk about briefly. The foreteller, the one who f predicted things, you do not have that anymore. In the canon of Scripture, that is the 27 books we have in the New Testament, when the last one was added, when John received the revelations, that was the last man comes to you and says he's got a revelation and he has uh, uh, this um, 
a gift of prophecy and he foretells something. Well, take, you, you could go back to the word of God. Take it with a grain of salt. Well, don't even do that because I got a feeling he probably ate too many hamburgers that night. He had a dream, you know. You have to be very careful of it. And so he, you might have another man who's going to predict Jesus is coming what? So what day was it he said? The 21st of, um, I don't even know what it is. I, but you know, you don't listen to all of that. They had a bunch of books up there in the bookstore once about what's going to happen in the year 2000. You remember that? And so we had all kinds of things. But this man is a prophet. He gets up and he says, that man who put that cord across the floor, he's careless. He should be made to pay for this lady's meal. <laughs> he, he's a prophet. He's a John the Baptist. He, he's sounding forth uh, truth, right? But that's what the prophet was in those days. And you've got preachers who are prophets today who really preach out against sin and judgment and you name it. Uh, they're prophets of God. That's one gift, okay? Uh, whether it, I'm sure they be in the spirit, but Paul is saying they're gifts of prophecy or men who preach, who foretell the word of God. All right, here's the servant, the deacon or the servant. He doesn't have to be a deacon. Somebody in the church who's got a, a heart to serve the Lord. Well, he bows down and he picks up the tray. You see, that's what he does. That's the first thing he does. He's a servant. Not a word, hardly. Uh, without uh, asking or saying anything to the lady or about the man who put the, the cord, the, the microphone cord across the floor like that. Because he's a servant. Um, Paul said he was a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Now that's not necessarily a gift. That was a personal commitment by Paul to be a bond servant, a slave. Slave has no right. In those days they never even wore any shoes. They had no, no, um, bank account. If it was in modern time, he is a slave. And, uh, the apostle Paul, he, he just said, look, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ, a bond servant, he called himself on one occasion. What a title. A man who really served the Lord in more ways than one. Okay, number three. The teacher comes along and he quietly says, I agree with the prophet. The man was careless. Now what he should have done is gone down to Kelly's hardware and got some duct tape and taped the cord down and or put it under a rug maybe where no one could trip over it. He's the teacher, you see. And um, he has given instructions of what should have been done. That's his job. That's his gift. And he probably went on and he expounded uh, these things, what, what could be done, should be done, and then interpreted what was the right procedure. That's the teacher. That's the gift of teaching. I like this man, the fourth one. He is exhorter. He gets down on his knees and he tells the lady, said, sister, he said, you get up now. You can do it. I know you can do it. You could go get you another meal. You won't, you won't fall anymore because I, I, I believe in you. You got the stuff that really matters in life. That's exhorting. Uh, God help us. We need more in our churches today, this type of person, you know. 
just give you that nudge, give you that encouragement, give you that lift when you really need it, to, to, to just come alongside of you and lift you up. That's the exhortum. Next time, it's going to be all right. Don't give up. You see, that is the gift of exhortation. God knows we need more of this today. But I like the man who is the liberal man. You see, a lot of Christians give. Maybe all Christians give. But there are some Christians in life who give more. You ever notice that? Now you say they give more because they have more. Not necessarily. But they know how to give. Uh, because that's part of their makeup. They're, that's their gift. What does he do for this lady? He said, Madam, I want you to go over there and, and get another dinner. In fact, get two. And uh, get your drinks again. And uh, I'll help you. And he goes over and he flushes his money out and he pays for uh, the meal. He's liberal, you see. That's his gift. There are some who have that added gift. We need to understand that. And um, and so he gives her another meal or two if, if necessary. And uh, God bless the liberal uh, Christian in the churches today. And um, so we come to the next one, the leader. And is he like the teacher? Well, he teaches, but it's a little different now. So he stands there and he says, Harry, get the mop. George, get down here and help clean this mess up. And he's given instruction. You know why? He's a leader. And he knows what is, is necessary. Let's clean this floor. And the leader will do that. In fact, leadership in a church is very, very painful sometimes. We are to feed the flock of God. And we are to lead the flock of God. Leadership usually is in connection with those that God has given a gift to do this. And I might say with all the gifts, before we get to the last one, all the gifts in the church. You ever notice in uh, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is relating some gifts. And he closes out with the last one, help. H-E-L-P-S. Boy, what would we do if we didn't have people in the church that helped? But the point I want to make is this. All of a sudden, there is a break. We plunge into 1 Corinthians 13. And then in chapter 14, Paul resumes his teaching on the gifts to the church. Why did Paul break after 12 and, and, and 14? What is 13 all about? Come on, I know you know your Bible. Love. Love is the oil that puts all of the gifts into motion. If I have the gifts uh, of, of uh, angels to speak, to be the preacher, uh, to be the prophet, and have not what? Love, I am nothing. I'm like sounding brass and tinkling cymbal, you see. Love is really the oil that, that causes all the gifts to function properly. Everything in these gifts that we talked about must be of course, the foundation must be with love. And love really is the key. Believe me, love will melt the hardest heart. Melt will dissolve a lot of doubt. Love will make the work a lot easier. And you, you do it because you love the Lord. When that 
drunk told his friends that he had the best wife in the world. He said, I could take you all home now and, and command that you drum up a meal for you and she will do it. <laughs> they said, that'll be the day. So he, he took them, got in his, at his home, and um, his wife quarterly greeted these men. I forget how many there were. And he said, wife, these men are hungry. Fix up a meal for them. That's all he said. And she just wiped her hands and her apron, went into the kitchen, and she drummed up a meal for those men, served them with hot coffee, had the coffee on, brewed, had brewed coffee for them. And they were sitting there. And while they were about sort of taking it easy after the meal, one of them said, Madam, we have to ask you, what, 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 what caused you to, to do what you've done for us tonight? Most women would have driven us out, and rightly so. We have no right to barge into your home like this. Uh, what, what is it that makes you tick, madam? What, what is it? She says, I'm a Christian. I love my husband. And I've realized long ago that the only, or the only comfort he's going to get in this life is what I do for him. I make his life comfortable. I do what I can for him because when he dies, he will be in hell forever and forever and forever. I, I love him and I don't want him to die and go to hell. By this time, some of the men had tears in their eyes and, and, uh, you know, before that, evening was over, some of those men gave their hearts to Christ, and her husband was the main one who trusted the Lord as well. It was the love that broke that man's heart. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that all wives are going to have that kind of love, but however, let me tell you, it worked in that case. It really did. Oh, the love will put these gifts into motion and be effective. We'll be impacted for God's glory and we'll see great things accomplished. Believe me, we will. All right, the last man. I love this brother. He gets down on his knees at the woman as well and he said, are you hurt? That's mercy. Uh, can I take you to the clinic? Maybe you ought to see the nurse. Your, your knees look bruised. I'll be glad to drive you to the clinic. Are you sure you're all right? I'm all right, she says. I'm all right, but thank you just the same. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. That's mercy. Everyone else was interested, of course, in the material side of her life, you know, which is good. But Mr. Mercy, with that gift, he was interested in her welfare. You know, that's a little closer now. And so we have the seven gifts. Do you know anybody at Calvary got the whole seven gifts that I've just portrayed before you? <laughs> no. But you know, that shouldn't stop us from asking tonight, for instance, uh, privately speaking, Lord, help me to know what mine is. The preacher said that I have a gift, that you've given me a gift. And it's probably hidden there somewhere and you don't realize it. Launch out into the deep. Find out what it is and God will enrich your life and bless you and put all, everything into it. Do it with all your might, that is. And, uh, God really will encourage your heart. Don't renege now. Don't cheat on the Lord. Just do it for His glory.
And uh, even because you may not have the gift to be liberal, like Mr. Liberal, uh, uh, that doesn't mean that we cannot give to God, okay? Oh, don't be like the man who who wrote the IRS, and he, he, he wrote him and said, Dear sirs, I haven't been able to sleep at night. Says, I have stolen uh, some money from you, and uh, I just cannot sleep. Therefore, find and close $300 that I'm sending. And then they, I call him a foolish man. He put a PS in the bottom of the note and he said, and if I find that I can't sleep anymore, I'll send you the balance later on. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, does it? Come on. You know? Oh my, how we need to be uh, honest before the Lord, okay? And may the Lord just encourage your heart and uh, be faithful to him. Do what he wants you to do day by day. And when you find your niche or your gift, apply your heart to it faithfully. Go all out and do it for the glory of God, okay? And um, may we be faithful in all things for, for his name's sake. Uh, the little boy going to Miami with his parents. And he prayed this. He said, Lord, we're going to Miami tomorrow. Goodbye. We'll see you when we get back. What an awful sour note to close out on. Eh? That's sort of an underhanded jab in your left side. You ever notice when we go away, we hardly think of finding a church to go to or the fellowship of the Lord's people? You know what I heard a Christian say once? I was saddened by it. I don't want to see anybody when I go away. I don't want to see a Bahamian in my sight. Now I'm just the opposite. Man, I'd go down the lobbies of some of the old Ermy. You all, how many remember the old Ermy? Boy, you are old. Uh, anyhow, and I, and the Holiday Inn, and, and we go down there, you know, and I'd look to see if anybody from the island. I, I really do. I, ha- I just, I want to be with them. I want to talk to them, you know, but this fellow said he doesn't want to see you. One Bahamian, that's why he goes in a certain um, hotel, away from the, the, the norm or the, the places where we would normally go. I hope you're not like that. I hope God will share. Enjoy the fellowship of God's people all over, wherever you go, okay? I, I tell you, I went up way up in, in uh, what, Pigeon Ford, up that way up in the mountains, and um, I thought we'd never get back to the Bahamas. A narrow road, I said to Derek Eldon, I said, Derek, you better let Eddie Schwartz drive this car. You're not used to these mountain uh, roads. He said, I can handle it. Well, a car came around the corner, which I, I, I envisioned, and he almost, I looked down there, and I'm not exaggerating, it looked like about 1,200 uh, feet down below. He stopped the car and he said, Eddie, I think you better drive. Well, he drove to the top, and we finally found the, the little chalet or cabin where we were supposed to stay. We got there. And would you believe, we had a hard time finding that cabin. Would you believe that Sidney Boris and Agatha was in the cabin next to us? A Bahamian? You know Sidney, don't you? The Boris uh, lock system over here. And Agatha and, and Sidney, of course... I uh, go to Central. I think Agatha 
passed on to be with the Lord recently. And but uh, I was delighted. That doesn't <laughs> make things bad for me, believe me. Oh well, enough of this rambling on, but just love the people of God, okay? And encourage one another, be an exhorter. Uh, that's a gift that we all can share in. Encourage one another in the Lord. You know, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your love. Thank you for your word. And help us to apply these gifts, whatever you've given to us, to use it for your glory, because we believe you're coming soon. Oh, God, we know the work of the Lord deserves even more than what we give. Help us, Lord. Give us the strength. Give us the fortitude to really press on for you. Some may be discouraged here tonight. Things are not always going to go right. There are physical problems, emotional problems. And we pray, Lord, that you'll be with these dear ones. It might be children that are delinquent, Lord. And uh, we pray for them as well. God, be pleased to bless the household of faith. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.